0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Blackstock Triangle, an Arsenal podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, downloading, and hopefully in the future, rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling a friend, I don't know, buying a billboard, whatever it takes. Anything that you can do to help us grow the podcast, we just can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Although, if all you really want to do is just download the occasional episode after a big win, because you cannot consume enough arsenal content after a big win that is okay too uh with me today uh, i've got alex alex how are you
1: i'm good sean fantastic after the win how are you
0: cannot complain first thing monday morning where i'm at so it's just a, a great way to start a week with the feeling that i've been carrying with me uh since the end of the game also with us today is nelly nelly how have you been
2: I'm quite. I've been all right, especially since we're uh, climbing up the table again, scoring goals. I'm feeling good.
0: Up the table, much better than down the table. It certainly looks a lot better than it did just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, today's episode is going to be all about Liverpool, uh, Arsenal three, Liverpool one. A huge emotional day. Uh, a huge day for just enjoying the moment. Uh, We still don't, you know, there's a a lot of time left in the rest of the season. We don't know what the season has in store for us. We didn't predict, you know, the blip that we saw, you know, prior to this and prior to, you know, the Dubai trip and the break. So a lot of things can still happen, both good and bad in this season. So it's important to really soak up the moments when you get them. I was thinking about this yesterday. This game, gives you so much heartache so much of the time and we sometimes think that that only the sort of end result of a season matters and it certainly it certainly does matter a lot but there are so many of these little highs that you can get during the course of the season this is a classic journey versus destination type of argument and this game yesterday or whenever you watched it I guess for Alex, it was very early this morning. Uh, But this game really gives us a chance to enjoy pieces of the journey. And so regardless of what it means for the rest of the season, although we will sort of wrap up with that discussion, I think it's certainly nice to just have a moment where you can kick back and just be at peace, even if it's only for a few hours. So I want to start with that. So your initial emotional reactions to the game how you felt leading up to it, how you felt during. I had to distract myself for parts of this game. I was just really, really super nervous. I put it in the WhatsApp, the little vomit emojis. I was super nervous before this one, uh, so I had to distract myself a little bit. But I want to get into your emotional journey from pregame through postgame. So I'll start with Nelly because I haven't talked to you in a while. We haven't been on at the same time in quite some time. So Nelly, walk me through your emotional journey through this one.
2: So I was uh I was nervous but not quite as nervous as you I don't think for the uh for the beginning of the game I felt a bizarre slightly bizarre lineup made me a bit nervous but we scored early so I was over the moon then a few seconds before half time was that was my definitely lowest point I've had uh watching Arsenal in the last in a few weeks at least when we were level, we conceded, and we hadn't even faced a shot on target yet. And it was still somehow uh, only level. And then after um, the few minutes into the second half, the terrible defensive error by Liverpool, as bad as Arsenal's, um, it was over the moon from there on in. It was they ne- never really looked like the better of the team, Liverpool. Maybe the first five minutes of the second half, apart from that, they were looked a very poor team a shadow of the team that we played a few weeks ago and i've been uh, smiling ever since
0: most definitely alex how did you feel how are, what, did you even, did you get to catch this one live or did you wake up with the peace of knowing what was coming and how does that change the way you watch that game
1: no i actually um i stayed awake for this one um <laughs> Games like this, you got to stay awake. You know, it's hard to re- it's hard to sleep when um you know this game is on. So uh, yeah, I-, I stayed awake. I think it finished at about two thirty in the morning. Had to go to work the next day, but uh, you know that's life. Being an Arsenal fan on the other side of the world. In terms of my emotion, uh, yeah, definitely a roller coaster for sure. Uh, um, I don't know if I was feeling you know on the verge of vomiting like you were, but yeah, definitely above butterflies in my stomach because I think you know we can all agree it it was a game that we kind of knew if we lost or even if if we got a draw we were pretty much out of the title race. But now, two points behind Liverpool, if Man City win, their two games in hand. They're, they'll be on 50, fifty-two points, so they'll be at top of the league. So we'd be three points behind them. You know, so we are, you know, we are in with a shout, albeit it's a, probably a slender one considering. What Man City and, and Liverpool have done in the past when they've just gone on these crazy, you know, 10, 12, 14 game winning streaks at the end of the season. But we're in with a sniff. And so, yeah, that knowing that this was going to be a game of really uh, uh, yeah, an important game at high margins, yeah, I was definitely nervous. And I think I, I, in the previous podcast, I pretty much made that somewhat clear, I think, Sean. Um, <laughs> Also, I would like to have I like, got the prediction correct, by the way, 3 1. Um, so yeah, you know, just just saying. Just saying. <laughs>
0: Very nice. In my defense, I was being slightly hyperbolic in the WhatsApp. I did not literally throw up. I just, I just want that want that oh. out there. Uh but Sure. Sure you did. I even I you know what? Just to show you how relaxed I was, I ate lunch at halftime. I got into it. I relaxed just a little bit. Uh, that first half, as you mentioned, Nellie, uh, you know, outside of the the catastrophic goal that we gave up in, in in added time, looked pretty good. We'll we'll get into that, but I just this this game, I think, if if taken as a whole, should calm a lot of nerves for the rest of the season for reasons that I I think that we'll get into as we. As we go in there. But um, I know, Nellie, you mentioned lineup. Let's talk a little bit about uh, really both squads line, the squads lineups, as I tongue twister myself. Let's talk about the Arsenal lineup first. Uh, Nellie, since you're the one that mentioned it, talk a little bit about what you saw and how you were thinking about that and whether, you know, what that lineup made you think. let So let's talk about some of the changes that were made, why they were made, and then sort of how they made us feel.
2: So the one that um, I thought was odd was not playing a recognised striker. I believe um, Jesus was injured, but um, it's not like Arsenal don't have other strikers. I think Eddie is fit, so there's no reason he couldn't play. Playing Havertz as a kind of false nine is an interesting idea. I don't think we'll see Arsenal doing that often this season. I think it works when you catch the other team off guard. People will um people will play to to stop it if we keep doing that. I was happy to see Jorginho in. Uh, I think Jorginho's an okay player, maybe not quite as good as he used to be, but he's got a pedigree to him. And I, I think it was right to start Cinchenko. I think having said the opposite when Arsenal played Liverpool in the league early in the year on this pod, I um I think that with Salah not available for Liverpool, I think playing Zinchenko was the right thing to do. So um, all around it is interesting. I don't think we'll see Arsenal line up like that again, but it clearly was the right uh, way to line up in the game because we won it. So that's my my thoughts on the the selection. I don't think we'll see it again, at least not many times this season. Not set up exactly like that.
0: Yeah, Alex, so we have uh, Jesus not in the squad. He's injured again. Uh Thomas Party, who a lot of people thought might make an appearance in this one, apparently has a setback. A, a setback, by the way, which uh could end up being fairly significant. I think the last I heard they weren't really sure of the severity of that setback. So obviously he's not available either. Uh what was your take up take on the lineup?
1: Yeah, I'll- I actually liked it to be honest with you. I thought it was something different. And when I saw Jorginho in midfield, I, I I thought, okay, are we going with a, a bit of a double pivot here with Rice as well? And it, it kinda looked like that. Um I actually although I understand where Nelly's coming from, I actually I, I hope we do see this maybe more often than well not more often, but at least a few more times a season. I think in my opinion, I thought Jorginho was man of the match. I thought he just had a great game, um, almost a, a poor Skulls esque kind of game, if you like, where he just controlled the tempo, understood that when we were in the ascendancy, he really tried to get the ball moving quick. And then when Liverpool were putting us on the back foot, you know, there were times when he would just slow the game down a little bit. You know, just that, that level of IQ, you know, just really sort of, you know, well, unless you're looking for it, you kind of probably miss it. But there was actually a moment where, he was on the sideline or he was close to the, the touchline and Liverpool were on the offence. And um, uh, I, think, I think it might have been Diaz. I, think, oh, I don't know who he was with, but he actually just hit the ball into the Liverpool player and it went out for a throw in. And I just thought to myself, that was just such a smart like, little thing to do where it just sort of slowed the game down a little bit just so that Liverpool couldn't take the momentum away. Um. Yeah, I thought if Jorginho performs like that when we're getting pressed, you know, maybe like say for example against the Newcastle, maybe if they come and do that, or against Aston Villa, maybe. Um, I I just think someone like Jorginho and having that double pivot um in terms of our, our formation, I think would be a, a great option. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was really good. And I hope Arteta in some games at least maybe potentially looks at continuing to do that. I mean, even against a low block, I think having Jorginho with his range of passing, uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but we'll wait and Let's wait and see.
0: Right. And I think we feel like we have to kind of pick and choose with Jorginho due to his age, uh, due to his mobility. And, you know, if, if we go in knowing, okay, Jorginho, you know, can't necessarily play the three games in eight days kind of thing. But if you can pick and choose, then you can get the best out of him. I think maybe the only problem we potentially have is <clears throat> normally you would think, so if Jesus is is healthy, he probably plays at nine for this game. Havertz is then available at the left eight. If we are f- forced into a situation where we're sort of running out of midfielders. Uh, the risk becomes maybe having to play Jorginho a little too much. Uh, and hopefully that's not the case and we'll, we'll sort of find out hopefully as this week goes. Fortunately no midweek match this week so maybe get some clarity, maybe get a little bit more health. Liverpool dealing with some of their own injury issues as uh Nelly, you mentioned Salah not available, Simikas not available, Joel Matip not available, Sabasalai not available. Uh, Luis, uh, no, sorry, Darwin Nunez doesn't start this one, Harvey Elliott doesn't start this one. Uh, So they certainly have some of their own issues with injury, and that certainly having Mo Salah out and not terrorizing down our left flank was helpful. Also, by the way, in this one, Zinchenko goes out again at halftime. Seems like he quote-unquote felt something in his calf. I I believe Arteta used the term again in one of the post-game interviews. We'll wait and see how severe that one is, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So first, just to go through the goals a little bit, uh, 14th minute. Uh, Havertz in on goal we know that, that Allison Becker is, is an exceptional one-on-one keeper uh, but in this case unable to control the rebound Saka into an empty net uh, talk us through that one a little bit Alex how you saw that one unfolding
1: uh, as in like well I think overall I thought it was a great run by Havertz um you know, Zinchenko has to take a lot of credit. The way he cut in, um, found Odegaard, Odegaard then finding Havertz. Yeah, you know, you, you'd want Havertz in that position to finish. But Allison, you know, he's a world-class goalkeeper. So, we'll talk about this
0: though. Not today. Outside that, that this moment oh, may right, have okay. been his yeah. his best and last moment of this match because That's it true. was it was clown shoes going forward for him.
1: Yeah, it was not yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah, definitely probably might have had his worst game in a long time, Alisson. Um, but, I, you know, having one bad game, I don't think takes away that he is absolute class. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm not but disagreeing re- with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just, it was lucky that Saka was there to basically score it. Um, yeah, You would hope Habits would do better in that situation, but it is what it is uh I actually thought habits overall had a very good game um I thought he put himself about quite well decent work rate and to be fair to him uh basically was the reason that Kanate got sent off because he was the one that got him the two yellows essentially so you know i can't um I can't knock him too much obviously he wanted to score and that might have pushed him up to maybe like an eight out of eight out of ten, but I would still give him. You know, a 7 out of 10, I think, just for his work, rate And the fact that he made himself a nuisance to the defenders, particularly Kanate, and ultimately got him sent off. So, yeah, I didn't think he was that bad.
0: No, that's a fair point. Uh, Nelly, you have anything you want to talk about with regards to that goal?
2: Um, not really, no. I don't think Allison could have done much better on this one. <laughs> we'll talk about the second goal. But um, <laughs> on this one, like, Havertz possibly could have done better, but he hit it very hard. Allison was quite close to him. There is no way he could have been able to push it out for a corner from the position he was in. He had to push it back into, out into away from the goal, and uh, it was because it came at him so fast. I don't think Allison did anything wrong on the first goal. Really, ha- Havertz maybe could have put it past him, but if you hit it hard enough, things stuff happens that goes your way normally. So Havertz got lucky, like Alex said. I don't think the first goal was Allison's fault.
0: Yeah, it seems like it seems not. If somebody hits one that hard from that close, I don't think you can be really held responsible for for the rebound. That's, I mean, that's literally what defenders are for—is to sort of clean that stuff up. The rest of the half, how did up until the Liverpool equalizer, and we'll spend—you know, obviously we'll spend some time with that. How how did you feel about? were you and i'll put this out to both of you uh did you feel pretty good about the way we were playing it felt like a very well executed first half so i just want to get your impressions both of you on did it feel in control we felt like we were playing our game not not a huge possession game for arsenal in this one i think it ended up it might have been 53 47 it was that for large portions of the game no 50 end up being 57 43 so but it it really felt like a an a controlled out of possession game so let me know tell me how you felt about the first half up until stoppage time
1: yeah i think um it it looked i mean obviously i don't know this but it looked like the plan was to basically say to liverpool you can have the ball in your own half then but the moment you get to the halfway line they're going to press you um, and it, it for large parts of that first half, that's what we did. I felt like we were just in total control. Yeah, there were times when we didn't have the ball, but it wasn't like Liverpool were doing anything with it that was really dangerous. Whilst with us, we would get the ball, and we would look more often than not. We we would look dangerous. Um, so yeah, that um, that, I I would argue that we actually had a very good first half, and I would say we did control the first half, even though we didn't have. Obviously, the a high amount of the possession, but it's funny how you don't really need that, especially when you're pressing and, and you've got your your your, ba- your three banks or sorry, yeah, your three banks, and just understanding okay, before the halfway line you're going to have the ball. The moment you get close to the halfway line, we're going to. We're going to press you and we're going to try and steal the ball off you. And that's they did that really well, the Arsenal players. You know, Havertz, once again, put himself about. Odegaard, obviously, just, you know, that guy is a a workhorse and just runs it forever. Um, And then it's the same with Martinelli and Saka. They they all, you know, they all do their part. And uh, you could definitely see that. We we stole the ball off them on a number of occasions in that first half. And look, we should have gone into the first half probably 3-0 up. You know, it's almost reminiscent to the FA Cup tie, a few weeks ago, like we dominated that first half, but we didn't finish our dinner. This time we, we did finish at least one chance, but then we just conceded a very sloppy goal at the end.
2: Yeah, I felt the first half went up until the poor defensive error. The first half went very well. Liverpool had managed to go in at half time, one all without getting a shot on target. That Liverpool didn't get a shot on target means Arsenal controlled the game. Uh, I think Liverpool weren't expecting Arsenal to line up with Havertz playing as a false nine. It took them until half time to adjust to that, and it it showed. It meant that we had an extra body in midfield, and he he was then breaking forwards. They weren't Liverpool weren't dealing with it well. Clearly, Jurgen Klopp told them how to deal with it at half time, but in during the first half, Liverpool were all at sea. It felt uh, it, I I I wasn't that. I was very disappointed at halftime because it was such a poor goal to concede, but I really felt that Arsenal were going to win from there. It, they'd been the better team by such a margin.
0: Well, let's talk about it then. Uh, it's really one of the only few downers of the game. Uh, long ball, right down the middle. Uh, I don't even know who hit it. Is it. Do either of you know who hit the who hit the ball?
2: No. Um.
1: No, I couldn't. Whatever, tear. it no. hardly
0: matters, right?
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> just, I'm just I'm still so irritated about it. Sorry. Um, William Saliba, it bounces. Saliba cuts off Luis Diaz, I think. Seems to want Raya to come out for it. Uh, Raya hesitates. As soon as Raya finally does come out to to try and get it uh diaz is able to poke it over i believe it goes off of Gabriel's hand into the, so gabrielle's swinging around and i believe just knocks it into the net with his hand
2: yeah, would have been a penalty if it hadn't been an own goal i think
0: <laughs> which i don't know which was more galling. it's just like just get it out of the way a penalty would have been too much build up and you would have had to it would have been it might have taken longer actually to to sort of shake off if it had been a penalty so i'm not sure Let's just go into it. I think there's sort of an emerging consensus generally on whose fault this was. Uh, so I want to get both of your takes on it. I'll give my opinion as well. So, uh, Nelly, who do you have on this one? Do you have, Or you, you don't have to go 100% and 0%. You can assign a, a percentage of whose fault this was.
2: I'm going to go okay. Raya. I really... Maybe Saliba could have acted differently, but once Saliba wanted Raya to come out, he has to come out. Like, you can't... If you're a goalkeeper and your centre-back tells you to come for the ball, you can't argue back and say no. So uh, I'm going Raya. 99% blame and then 1% Saliba. You've got to listen to your teammates. All right, Alex. What about you?
1: Uh... Hot, uh mm. I'd probably go, oh, I don't know, it's a 50 50. <laughs> I probably would. I mean, I just think, I think Nelly's right. But then there's, there's a part of me that says, oh, like Saliba, just clear it, you know, just get it out. Like you literally, there's two minutes before we have to go in, you know, to the halftime break. We can go on 1 0 up. Don't take the risk. Just get it out. Let everyone reset and then we can go again kind of thing. So yeah, I'd probably just go 50 50. They're probably, it, it seems like there's some, Although I will say it does seem like this is a bit of a common occurrence with Raya sometimes, so I hope this isn't something that he just has in his game. Um, but it just yeah, it seems like there are occasions where he has that sort of bozo moment. Um, uh, but having said that, he does have bits of quality as well. But yeah, I'd go fifty fifty.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think I'll, I'll I'll buck the trend here. I think I go seventy thirty. That's Saliba. Um, and I would say that in that situation, I think the keeper probably knows better the situation behind Saliba. And that's and, and so what he's got is Diaz is basically climbing all over his back. So maybe he should know that as well, which means that any move that Raya takes to come out to that ball, regardless of whether it was a, when Saliba first calls him or when Raya actually finally does go out there. Diaz has a chance to poke that ball across, which is exactly what ended up happening. And that could have happened at any sort of moment. Saliba in that case, and I also think that the keeper probably is the one who should be calling for that because the play, the whole play is in front of him. Saliba's facing the wrong direction, doesn't quite have a sense of what's happening. Raya can see the thing developing better. And if he doesn't come out, I think Saliba's just gotta clear that. You you def- the worst case scenario at that point is you defend one more corner and you go up one-nil. I can't I can't place too much of that on Riot. Could he have been more decisive? Well, I think he, in the end he was decisive probably the wrong way in not coming out. Could he have come out quicker? Obviously, he could have come out as soon as as soon as Saliba called for him, but he's facing the same potential risk in doing so. And I feel like the safer play probably is just Saliba clear the ball. But you can you can certainly make a case either way. It's regardless of how you assign the blame, I think we can all agree that probably the person who gets the statistical blame for the own goal is Gabrielle and he plays no part in this. Oh yeah. So
2: oh, the, zero the percent blame on Gabriel. Him, 0% yeah. blame on Gabriel. The one thing I would say, I mean, I'm maybe Arteta runs it differently, but on sports teams I've been on, which is not as high a level as Arsenal, the way you decide who's right, it's whoever calls first is right. And then, because you haven't got time to argue about it. Um, So I think Saliba called first and is therefore right. And Raya should have just gone with it. It's more important that you're all on the same page as a team than it's necessarily the right decision. So, if either had happened, if Saliba booed out, if Raya had come, then it, we wouldn't have conceded then. And that's why you've just got to go with what your teammates tell you to do. You can't argue back. So, uh, personally, I'm putting all the blame, well, 99% of the blame, on, on Raya.
0: Regardless, I think we can all agree that it was an absolutely catastrophic goal to give up at that moment.
2: Oh, yeah. Definitely. It was. Ah. Uh, Um, It was the most catastrophic goal conceded for at least another 25 minutes. (laughs) Anywhere in football.
0: And that's really the story of the game. We get, uh, I think I, you know, we have the, the pod WhatsApp and I just, I just asked, is it possible that this team could please stop shooting itself in the face? It just, it feels like, there is a calamitous goal, just a comical goal, just every couple of games that we give up. And one of the things that I always think about is how we never seem to get those goals. Like the, the whoever we're playing becomes this sort of, it, regardless of whether they're good or not, they just all of a sudden become a clean, error-free team until, as you said, Nelly, until the, what is it, the 67th minute, who wants to walk us through that one? Because I absolutely, I, I love this goal for the exact reason that, like I said, I I just always like, why can't we get goals like that? Why can't we just, and I know I'm probably blocking a few out because it, you know, you'll take some errors and, and try to make them into, to you know, brilliant offensive arsenal play when really it's, it's probably, you know, just disastrous defending, but the ones that are so obvious, that you can 't help but think, "Wow, that somebody else actually shot themselves in the foot or the face in some way in the same way that, that we so often blame ourselves for, uh so Alex talk to me about uh, talk to me about the martinelli goal
1: well, um, yeah. <laughs> it's just like you said, it was calamitous really, and it was a joy to watch <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously uh, Van Dyke. I mean, it seemed like he wanted to pass the ball back. There just seemed to be... Allison was coming out. seemed to be a bit of confusion. You know, I, I don't know who called it first. And then it was just... Yeah, I, I don't know. It was really strange. It was almost like a blur. And then all of a sudden, Martinelli just has the ball in front of him and he kicks it into the goal. And you just think, how did that happen? You know, it was, it was actually... See, with ours, it was almost like, you could see the slow build-up and you could almost see it happen in slow motion with our goal, right? But with theirs, it was like, oh, wait, we just scored. You know, it wasn't – it was just like – it was so, really bizarre. Um, and, look, like I mentioned, you know, we, we were just really trying to press and get the ball off them as much as we could. And, my, look, credit to Martinelli for being there, right place, right time. You know, he—he he's another one yesterday who just worked – his absolute socks off, you know, and some of the balls over the top to him from Jorginho, from Gabrielle, from Zinchenko. He, he put himself about really well and had had Canate on toast. I think well, he was up against Trent, and uh, Trent really did nothing. He looks injured, to be honest with you, but yeah, uh, credit to Martinelli, um, slotted away, and just the sigh of relief, you know, that, you know, we talked about obviously. Feeling ill before the game, you know, the anxiety levels being high, it just felt like, oh, you know, thank God that mistake isn't potentially going to cost us, you know? Because that, that, like you mentioned, Sean, it, it's always felt like that, you know? We just always make a mistake and it just shoots, we shoot ourselves in the face. But then that, that happens and you go, oh, there is a God, you know? Like it just <laughs> kind of feels like that. Nelly, how did you see that one unfold? It was, uh, it was. Um,
2: it was un- Alex made a good point it was unlike the goal that Arsenal conceded this one was really fast it didn't look like they were going to make a mistake and then oh my god uh, Martinelli's got the ball and he's going to score it was uh, such a frantic move but uh, it was <clears throat> an even worse mistake I feel than uh, than the one that Arsenal made it was definitely another one where some whoever called it first was right I don't know who it was Um, someone didn't listen or maybe they didn't call it because they both thought they knew what the other one was going to do in which case they're both to blame but it was truly a calamitous goal the kind of goal that would have been unacceptable for me to concede when I was playing under 14s Uh, it would have been totally unacceptable for me to make a mistake like that so you don't see Alisson and Van Dyke making mistakes like that very often and it I can't think of another clear-cut Arsenal scoring from a terrible mistake that's in recent years. About ten years ago, I remember John Terry slipped over and Van Persie breezed past him. <laughs> uh, that's the only one, but that was about ten years ago. Now that's about when I was at university. That that was a long time ago. So uh, it's been it's been a while since Arsenal have had a, a goal fall at
1: their feet that easily. That was the game at Stamford Bridge, wasn't it? We won five three. Yeah, five three.
2: But that was back when I was at university, and I graduated in yeah. twenty fourteen. So it must have been a while ago.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> me too. Yeah. Um,
2: so that's the last time I can remember where Arsenal have been gifted a goal like that. I have to say,
0: obviously huge error, regardless of of how you assign the blame for that. If you're a Liverpool fan, this morning. But I have to give Martinelli a lot of credit because he puts a shoulder challenge on Van Dyke that makes Allison unable to make the clearance that he wants. So he, Martinelli, challenges, puts a shoulder to shoulder challenge on Van Dyke, which puts him in Allison's path. Allison has to pull out of the clearance and it does end up making contact with van dyke in the hip but if he goes if he goes to make the clearance that he's you know obviously looking to make he's going to put his boot right through Virgil van dyke's hip or thigh and so he has to pull out of that and then they both end up off to the side martinelli's never going to get a ton of credit for that goal but he makes that mistake happen in a way that I don't think that they necessarily expected. If he doesn't make that challenge, Van Dyke pulls out of the way, is able to, to, to curl his, his run. Allison clears it. And then nothing happens. If you go back and, and look at that replay closely enough, that challenge alters everything. It was like, it's like putting a, it's like putting a pebble on a railroad track, right? And you can derail the train or whatever it would, you know, this this sort of really small little alteration of what was supposed to be happening ends up, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a terrible goal for them to concede and they're going to be, you know, full of gnashing of teeth and lamentations for that goal as well. They should be, but I don't think Martinelli will ever get, maybe the credit he deserves for creating that. The other thing I'll say out of this goal is this is now the second time uh in the last few years that we've gotten to see Martinelli start a celebration before the ball across the line, which is something that I I could get used to.
2: Yes, it was, uh I agree. I don't think Martinelli will get the credit that he deserves. But it's that there's that famous quote, The harder I work, the luckier I get. He was uh he was working hard and he got and he got lucky. Uh so, I think I he reacted quicker than I did, in, and I was sat at home watching just watching it on TV. He he, when the ball came loose, Martinelli was, was on it before I'd even seen it sat on the sofa. So, I think it was it was all his goal that one. He totally deserves it.
0: Yeah, I just couldn't believe at the end how it ends up at his feet, and there's just it's just nothing but a, it is nothing but open goal after that it was it was i don't know it was a very surreal kind of moment and i just i i really i enjoyed it obviously you know the emirates goes bonkers it's it's just a brilliant moment and it it really restored the game state that i think most arsenal fans would have felt we deserved that as fans we deserved for the for Arsenal to be winning based on how they had been playing. I think I think we mentioned you know the team started the second half maybe still feeling a little bit sorry for themselves for having given up the lead so close to halftime. They but they they did work their way back into it in a way that I thought was was pretty admirable. And ultimately, when you look at you know, and we know XG is a, is an imperfect measure of, of certainly a single game, but the XG in this match tells the story. Three point five, again, depending on the model, to point three seven. Liverpool did not create enough to deserve even the goal they got from this game, let alone anything else. They didn't deserve to be where they had been up until the sixty seventh minute. Goal! They got a goal they didn't deserve. Fortunately, they didn't get anything else. But they didn't really—they
2: created nothing in this game. And it, yeah, our
1: midfield deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, Yeah. they had a couple of
2: decent shots from range that didn't miss by much. Was all Liverpool managed to produce on their own, and they were gifted an own goal. They didn't. At no point did Liverpool really look like they were going to score.
0: And you didn't feel at any point in this game, even when Liverpool has a lot of the possession, and after it goes to one they do have a pretty sustained period of possession, they didn't do anything with it, really. Like, you never felt that, as just even sitting at home and as, as nervous as I was, I never felt that they had us on the ropes in that period of possession. And that's the control that you continue to look for. Control when you have the ball, control out of possession. And we restricted them to very, very, very little. It would have taken an absolutely uh, just extraordinary individual effort. You know, like you said, Nellie, something extraordinary from distance or just, you know, a remarkable individual solo effort to, to put anything on on net in a way that troubled Raya because they just they weren't creating anything substantial.
2: Yeah, you're completely yeah. right. I mean, they did, they, like I said, the only thing, threat they really posed was some long shots. And <clears throat> um, there's a long-standing stat that a shot from outside the box and open play is about a 3% chance of leading to a goal. So if you take three or four of them in a game, it's very unlikely to generate you a goal. That's one of the things that is taken into account on XG is how many shots like that you take. But that's probably half of Liverpool's XG has come from a couple of shots from outside the box that had a you know a three percent chance of being a goal. Uh, so it, Liverpool really weren't. They they looked like they didn't know what to do when they were being closed out and they didn't have most Salah to pass to. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, yeah, it looks
1: like they missed him a lot. They missed Salah, which I mean, to rely on one player that heavily is probably concerning. Um but due to how how much how well class Salah is. But it's like yeah, they just they had no idea. they they ran out of ideas very quickly, you know. <laughs> Obviously Klopp made those three changes at half time. And although it gave them more possession, it was like they they just they couldn't do anything with it. They just they lacked that quality you know gravenberg or whatever i thought he was non existent i just I, yeah i saw him go off and i was like well, this guy was playing like you know i had no like you know what i mean like they just didn't have the quality um compared to us you know we just yeah just we ran it we ran the show and and like i mentioned before we gave them possession we were like listen you want the ball you can have the ball once you get to a certain point we're going to press you and uh, yeah, you're not you're not going to control this game. You know, it was just it was like they it was almost like when the players were around there, they were like, listen, you're not going to come here and get anything. We're not going to let you do that. Which that mentality. I mean, let's be honest. Like four or five years ago, we were nowhere near the level of a Liverpool or a Man City. Now we've beaten both of them at home in the in the league. We've drawn against Liverpool at Anf- at Anfield. If we go away to the Etihad and get something, you know that's. That's tell that should be telling to a lot of Arsenal fans, hey, you know, we we are there or thereabouts. Yeah, okay, fine, we've had a couple of bad uh, performances in certain games, but man, we're we're knocking on the door for sure.
0: Well, I mean, of course, who wouldn't miss Mosala? Right, you're talking about, you know, one of the best, if not the you know, the best winger in the world. Uh so obviously that's gonna make a huge difference. And You know, I would also say that we used to 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 piggyback on your point, Alex, we used to watch these games between two really good teams and be like, be really nice if we could play in a game like this and be competitive to play in a game like this and feel like not only that we could conceivably win if everything broke right, but that we could play a game like this against a team like this, that we should win because we did the things that you're supposed to do and you're right now we're doing those things doing those things we're you know one of the best teams if not the best team in the premier league at suppressing scoring chances liverpool had 10 shots in this game and again for a 0.37 to a 0.4 total xg means that you've suppressed the quality of their shots in a way that i don't think that really any team has done to them you'd have to check and see if they've if they've registered a lower uh a lower xg for a match but i i would kind of i kind of doubt it just thinking about it now i
2: Um, i don't know this stuff off my head but i haven't looked it up but i imagine their xg from the first half was 0.1 or something they at no point did they really look like producing did they produce any goal scoring opportunities in the first half Uh, i'm yeah i don't know what it is i i'm i'm not going to look it up now, but I know they had offered. They offered, They couldn't have had a lower xG. I doubt it, almost any team in any half of the Premier League would have had a significantly lower xG than Liverpool had in the first half. That uh, was point one one. Point one one. That's very so, low, though, isn't it? Uh, see, I, well, it's pretty good. Your <laughs> eye. Your eye test yeah. on that one was really good. Yeah, um, because they just weren't. So I don't know exactly xG. The way xG works is slightly complicated, but I have looked up. I, one thing is, if you take a shot from outside the box. That's point zero zero three added onto your XG, um, because it goes in about three percent of the time. Uh, and there's other things like if you take a shot from inside the six yard box is considered like point eight or something. Uh, but Liverpool didn't get take a shot from inside the six yard box. Liverpool didn't take get a shot on target at any point in the first half. Um, missed yeah, one three. from outside. Missed a couple from outside the box is all they managed. They took
0: three in the first half, none on target, zero big chances. Meanwhile, in the first half, Arsenal eight total shots, four big chances.
2: Mm. We were maybe team we should have got creative. Maybe we should have scored. Yeah, Alex is right. We should have scored two in the first half, and we were lucky <laughs> to get right. away with it. And you could have run
0: away with this game, uh, and and everyone could have been relaxed, and you know. No more. I honestly the- think
1: we should have scored five. got to be honest. Like, I look at some of the chances that we missed. That Kivio header, oh, my days. Like, if mm. he puts it that that away. That was, that was in
2: the second half, that like,
1: Kivio header. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. What I mean is, like, I'm looking – and even the, the Saka header as well. I just mm. think, man, if, if we could have easily have scored five and we would have looked back and said, yeah, you know what? that That, that makes sense. But I guess – we'll take a 3-1 that's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not going to be too hard on Kivvy or that's a center back playing left back who finds himself as a center forward and maybe maybe is not as composed as you would want your center forward to be but but I'm not I'm not going to blame him too much for that. But talking about him really leads to some of the, the next thing that that I want to talk about which has to do with just the players who you thought in this game really made the difference, sort of the difference makers within the lineup. We'll talk a little bit about the subs and, and Kibior being one of those that we think was an enforced sub uh, at halftime coming on for Zinchenko. Well, let's talk a little bit first about just who you're sort of, and we've touched on this a little bit, but who are your sort of players of the match? And then just a couple of sentences on, on what you think where you came up with that sort of <laughs> So what,
2: who and why. <laughs> so I would uh, Alex made a good point of Jorginho's Jorginho's a good shout for potentially the best play. I would it's very difficult to fault his performance,
0: I must say. Well he did win Man of the Match too, so.
2: Yeah, v- Jorginho did have deserved one winner of Man of the Match. I think Havertz maybe Havertz played well. I also feel Saka and Martinelli both played well. I know they both went off um, but I feel they they both got goals, both did well for their goals. Uh, they were our our best four players. If I've got to pick one, I think the official man of the match, Jorginho, is probably the right decision. Declan Rice never gets below a seven out of ten. This was another seven out of ten performance from him. It's just a safe pick. If you don't watch, if you don't even watch the game, you're just like yeah, just give yeah, it to just Rice. say yeah. Rice got a seven out of ten. Even if you don't watch, you can say that. No one will argue. Yeah, you me. just say... Declan Rice was great today, <laughs> <And> you can, <laughs> you can converse about that for half an hour. Mm. Uh, but I think I also lot...
1: had Ben White as well. Ben, ben White actually had a pretty good game.
2: Yeah, Ben White, another one. I was Ben White. Oh, it was difficult to put a foot wrong. He got a yellow card, but I don't think he played. But I don't think he really made any significant mistakes at any point on or off the ball. I think yeah, about they got high, a yellow for time wasting. So <laughs> I was. After, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't remember why he gotten a yellow card. But time wasting is worth it, especially if you're winning. Um, so I think. Uh, about half our players all played very well I think Zinchenko played well but it was only 45 minutes Um, Saliba Raya uh, fault for a goal Gabriel actually Gabriel played well I feel he could have scored one I remember I remember feeling he should have scored one but he's centre-back yeah Yeah, but he's the centre-back. centre I don't criticise him for not scoring goals. <laughs> right. um, even though he scores a lot of goals, Gabriel, uh, for a centre-back. But I, I don't think Gabriel really put a foot wrong. Right? Um, I think if he hadn't slapped the ball into... The ball was hit straight at him. If he hadn't slapped into the goal, it would have gone across the face and, goal and gone in anyway. Uh, so don't, these are, despite getting an own goal, I think Gabriel probably deserves a 7 or an 8 out of 10 from that game. Yeah, I just think the
0: defence as a whole. If you think about it, so I'll put it to this way. If you're looking at a front line of, of starting front line of Diaz, Gagpo, and Jota, there's talent there. There's goals in that in that front line, especially Jota, who absolutely terrorizes Arsenal. And again, until I looked at it this morning, I forgot he played. The same with, with you know Gravenberg. I completely forgot that Jota started this match and played, looks like, all of it. I mean that guy scores against Arsenal just about every time he plays, and for him to be such a non-entity, for Gakpo to be such a non-entity, Luis Diaz didn't get a thing out of Ben White. The goal that he ends up, you know, quote unquote, creating, you know, comes when he has floated, you know, onto this sort of the, the you know that center right kind of channel. It certainly doesn't come from him. Coming off the left and trying to do anything against Ben White, who has looked fantastic since the break. I don't know if it was the Dubai Sun. We know he was probably carrying a knock, uh, but he's looked incredible since uh, since we've sort of restarted. But I, I think again, you know, you don't want to miscommunication between your keeper and and your center backs, and that's bad, and it's embarrassing, and everybody feels bad. But when you go through a game. And with the talent that Liverpool can put out there, really in that front six, Curtis Jones, Alexis McAllister, you know, Gravenberg's play. If you put a front six out there like that, you expect, and I'm sure that Jurgen Klopp expected to create more than they created. And so I, I just feel like the setup, the defending, the positioning, the composure to not be rattled in defense, even in a match where you don't have the ball as much as you're used to, as much as you would like. I can't say enough about just the, the ability to suppress and to just smother an attack and just say, you're not getting through today. It's, it's phenomenal. And it, it, it's repeatable, and it's something that you can look at for the rest of the season and say, we're going to be difficult. Nobody's going to get anything. You're going to get something for free because we'll have some sort of disastrous mistake, but you're not likely to create anything on your own. Not much, at least. Alex, how did you see this one? You know, who's your sort dis- of difference maker?
1: Um, oh, but there's just so many. I mean, I feel like it was a real team effort uh ah oh man <laughs> it's like who do I who do I single out it's like <laughs> well i well let's let's talk about this for a minute because i don't wanna
0: give I don't want give too much about the inner workings of our little whatsapp group, but in the what minute in the seventy fourth minute. Right, This is seven minutes roughly after he scores. Arteta pulls Martinelli for Trossard. Now, I don't know how you, Alex, or you, Nelly, felt about that. Uh, but we can talk about, even though he's not here, which means that we get to talk about him more, I can tell you how Wasam felt about that. Did anybody <laughs> go back and yeah, look at those no, messages?
1: Yeah, he hated it. <laughs> I I, I I liked it, though, to be honest with you, because I thought Trossard holds up the ball really well. And we would, I think we what would we, two one up at the time? So it was like, okay, bring someone on who can hold up the ball on the other end of the pitch. You know, there's no, and then obviously he scores the third, which is fantastic, puts the game to bed. But, I mean, he did that really well against Nottingham Forest, where, he, you know, he held the ball up really well. So I, I think maybe I told his plan was like, listen, you're going to come on, we're going to give the ball to you. just try and try your best to try and get past all, you know, you're obviously going to get smothered. And when Trossard gets smothered, he seems to always find a way to get out. So it's like, okay, cool. You know, bring him on. I was okay with it. I thought, yeah, that's fine.
2: Yeah. I think Trossard's not quite good. He's a good player, Trossard. He scored a lot of goals for Brighton. He's clearly got goals in him and he, I don't think he's as good defensively as Martinelli, but I think a fresh Trossard is problematic for, um, for defenders on the counter attack he's very good and he keeps the ball like alex said he keeps the ball better than martinelli if there's one thing he does better than martinelli it's keep the ball so uh bringing him on when especially when you're winning uh 10 15 minutes to go uh, a quick play you can run up and down and score goals keep the ball a uh, now especially now we've got to get used to the five substitutions it's only a bit it's not a season old yet the five substitution rule uh, teams are going to make more subs like that because they can make five substitutions. So uh, I think that's the kind of thing we'll see more of. and I don't have any any problem with it. Well, I
0: won't, I won't completely throw Assam under the bus, other than to say that he wasn't happy. But also, he was very magnanimous and very happy to eat crow once Trissard scored. So we all got to have a pretty good laugh about it. Uh, the other probably biggest talking point from a sub perspective, was Jakub Kibior coming on for uh, Alexander Zinchenko uh, at halftime again we think that Zinchenko that was probably an enforced sub is what is what seems like was happening there uh so anybody want to give an evaluation of how you felt Kibior played i actually thought from a left back perspective i think this is the most comfortable and the best that he's looked i was i was pleased sort of actively pleased with his performance
1: yeah, I agree. I, I think he looked a lot better than he did against Fulham, that's for sure. But I think that was also because Arteta didn't tell him to invert. You know, he basically just stayed wide most of the time, and then well, apart from the, the the moment where he's in front of goal in the striker position, don't know what happened there. But um, for the most part, yeah, he. I think the plan was almost to have a, a, a back a four centre backs basically, um, because I think some of the subs that clock made, uh, he was trying to obviously really attack. They were 2-1 down. So, uh, yeah, they, I think Lupe almost went to like a, a front five. It was almost like a front five on occasion. So I think that's why Arteta was like, "Yep." Yeah. well, not that Yeah, he had to bring Kivio on, but I think he, his instructions to Kivyo were a bit more probably in his wheelhouse, let's say.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. we're out of fullbacks. I think that's really, think that's mm-hmm.
1: really the
2: issue. Is, with um, yeah. Kivio's performance, I think Kivio played alright. I think with everybody fit, he's presumably third choice at left back. right, Or even potentially fourth choice yeah, at I'd left say, back. I'd say there. maybe even
1: fourth. Because right, Tommy remembering that you're Tommy in timber Isu,
2: Yeah, Timber, Zinchenko will all be above him, I think. Yeah. Um, so for our fourth choice left back, I feel his performance is, is fine. Um, he's Get being thrust into the limelight, and exposed a bit more than most fourth choice left backs are. So I don't. I I think he played well. I think he's got um, something I noticed. In, I must say, until the last game, he's got a decent throw on him. It's not a true Roy Delap long throw, but he's got a good twenty yard throw on him as well. I'll give you, on, that's what I'm doing a couple of times in the football game, um, which is always nice. And but he's I think also he's continuing
0: the Hector Bellerin memorial foul throw every few games which he did do a foul throw yes i didn't get it i didn't get a replay on it but that seems like just such an absurd call to make in that situation and stopped what looked like was a potentially threatening
1: position yeah um well yeah i was living (laughs) Um, listen the less i say about the officials in this league probably the better to tell you the truth
2: Yeah, Alex and I have done entire podcast, entire episodes uh, of this, just ranting about yeah, the officials. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. So
2: <laughs> without Sean us in, we uh, we've had very long <laughs> rants about the quality of officials. <laughs> so uh, maybe um, maybe we shouldn't uh, delve into I, that too I, much. when we're it. happy with a win, when we're happy with a win, let's not let's not be yeah. bitter about the officials. Let's not open can up we, the can of worms. <laughs>
1: can we say
0: Can we say this though that that it looked from the very beginning like the like the ref wanted to red card somebody and for once when a ref wanted to red card somebody it didn't end up being an arsenal player that got the red again this this game is, mm-hmm. is completely has completely thrown what i thought was possible and what was allowable in the premier league i didn't think other teams could were allowed to give up calamitous goals against arsenal and i didn't think that in a game where you can tell the ref wants to wants to throw the red out. Just like I packed this red card. I want to use it. It's coming out for somebody. And for like, for once it wasn't one of ours.
2: Yeah. It's nice when the, nice when the sun shines on you, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't know what to think. Yeah. It's weird. It's not a, it's not how I used to be in, but it went our way. And a I think the can, had to go? There was no, like, um, as Alex said, when he was saying about how well Havertz did, both of those t- fouls were definitely yellow card fouls. There's no two ways oh, about it. He had to go. Definitely. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, it did end any hope Liverpool had of coming back. But actually, I suppose it was actually 10 minutes before the end of the game because there was a lot of added time. But uh, it didn't. It was an undeniable second yellow. First yellow was even clearer than that, if anything. And he had to, he had to go. And it meant that Liverpool couldn't come back from 2-1. Because I think it was only 2-1 when he got sent off. When we yes. it was, it was, but it meant that they couldn't come back. They took all the steam out of them. And I did relax a little more
0: at that at that point because it made you know, I, I think if he gets sent off and it's one one, I don't think I get terribly excited about it at an eighty-eighth minute sending off at one one. Uh because a lot of teams can, can just hunker down and and defend that for ten, fifteen minutes uh without I mean, it's difficult obviously, but I, I think without too much special worry. But when you're chasing a goal and you go that man down, like that's that's a huge, that becomes a huge blow, even if it is a center back. So I did relax a lot after that. Uh, anything else on this game, sort of before we move into ramifications and maybe look ahead a little bit at the rest of February?
1: No, not really. I think uh, just overall, really great performance, a performance that was needed. We needed to win that game. We're back in the title race, so yeah,
2: yeah, it's exactly what we needed. I I agree with Alex. Nothing else to add. We've I've said my piece on this game, but it was a it was a great game. I'm still smiling about it.
0: Well, and now since uh, Arsenal doesn't play again, doesn't have a doesn't have a midweek game, so West Ham on Sunday, we just get to bask in it for the entire week. I think I, I put something out um, – I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I put something out on threads and I was like, apologies to every other podcast that I listen to, but it's all Arsenal content this week. That's Then that's what I'll listen to. I will just listen to Arsenal stuff because it's a feeling that you want to be able to kind of ride throughout the rest of the week. You just want to ride that – you want to ride the crest of that wave as long as you can. So all Arsenal content for me this week – I don't know about I, the two of you, but
2: I'm gonna definitely be watching the uh, City Brentford game because with my uh, <laughs> with my uh, Brentford hat on, Oh, absolutely. Uh, because uh, if uh, if City drop points against Brentford, it's really it's we're really in the title race then. So <clears throat> it'll be a. Uh, but I, I it was a great it's a great game. We're all bees for this one.
0: <laughs> big big Brentford supporter always have been. <laughs>
2: Got me for the next, they've got me for the next, what time is it? They've got me for the next six hours. There you go. All right. So let's shift
0: gears a little bit here. Um, I think in the where does this leave us question, the obvious answer is in a title race. Even if City win, they're now two games in hand. That puts them uh, three up on us. It puts, uh, well, where we are with Liverpool, they're currently two up on us. That's, that's, that's a title race. It's a three horse title race. So, I mean, obviously there's a place that it leaves Arsenal mathematically and table wise, but I think I'm more interested, although feel free to talk about whatever you want, but I think I'm probably more interested in where this leaves you in terms of how you feel about the rest of the season, not just from a table perspective, but just from a, an optimism perspective of a connection place. Just where does a win like this at this time of the year, how does it leave you feeling about the team, the squad, the rest of the season, the transfer window, your lives, your world, your jobs, your home life, whatever?
1: Well, for me, look, I think we're in a pretty good place. I think – You know, Timbo should be coming back over the next month, maybe two, but knowing Arteta, he'll probably ease him in after such a significant injury. Um, Partey's a big one. I think, yeah, I think it's done for him, in my opinion. I think in the summer he's definitely gone. Um, It felt like in the press conference when Arteta announced it, there was almost this undertone of like, he's, he's fed up with Partey. You know how, how injured he always is, so I think, yeah, I think he's probably gone to tell you the truth. Um, uh, I think we're in a pretty good place. Hopefully, Zinchenko isn't too bad an injury. Um, we get Tomiyasu back there. Japan have been knocked out of the Asia Cup, he comes back. Okay, great. Some more depth and defense can't, not, that's not bad at all, especially if, if Zinchenko is out for you know, a length of time. Um, and then Jesus, uh. Once again, we're just to see, you know, he's another one where he's starting to get a bit concerned about his injury record at Arsenal, but hopefully he's not out for too long either. Um, and if we can have it, the majority of people fit by, say, beginning of March, end of February, uh, then, yeah, uh, I'd be ecstatic because I think as long as we keep these these results coming, I think we're in a very good place.
2: I think yeah, I think we're we're going in the right direction. I feel what's important now is that starting from now, Arsenal aren't the next team in the top three to drop points because we're third in a three-horse race. So if City or Liverpool drop points before Arsenal do, we become a second or joint first in a in a two-horse race in a three-horse race. It becomes much more. Uh, doable for us. That's why we've got to be the next couple of Premier League games are definitely winnable fixtures for Arsenal. We shouldn't drop points in them, and then eventually City and all Liverpool will drop points eventually, and then we're we're right right up on them. I think this is a uh, time to start planning the uh, trip down to London for the victory parade.
1: <laughs> well, just just quickly, um, uh, West Ham. That's a tough game. You know, we drew against them last season. That was when our sort of title. Charge collapsed, really, when we drew 2-0 we up away at, at West Ham, which is our next fixture, and we we blew it. And then all of a sudden we drew against Southampton and the pressure was on, and, and you could see the team could feel it. So, listen, you know, next weekend, it's not a foregone conclusion. We have to go there and we have to sort of right the wrong of last season and try and turn that into three points, especially considering we lost to West Ham at home. Um, I was
0: going to say, we have to right the wrongs of December 28th. <laughs> this past year, yeah. losing two nil at home. Yeah, oh, the one that. And,
1: and listen, and then after I think we got Burnley away as well. Which look, that's probably a bit more comfortable. You would think, but then after that, Newcastle at home. That's another tough game. We drew against them last season at home, and we've lost to them away at Saint James's Park. So that's another game we have to write that wrong, you know, and get three points. Well, um,
0: in in between, in between Burnley and Newcastle uh the Champions League starts back yeah. up. You've got Porto away in a
1: huge yep. Champions League game.
0: Yeah, so that's absolutely. A, that's it's gonna great. be a huge week.
1: Yep, absolutely. I mean look for me though, I would look at the last 15 games of the season. We've got 15 games to go of the season. If we if we can somehow make it 13, one and one. You know, we win 13, we draw one, we lose one, I think that's you know we got a real good chance of Winning the league, I think, if we can do that, you know. But we just we can't drop points to City when we go to the Etihad, which I think is probably in more, much further down the track. And we've still got tough games. We've got to go away to Tottenham or away to Man United. But if we can get a record like that, we're definitely in with a shout. Not yeah, too worried about.
2: Games I might not. I might regret saying this, but I'm not too worried about away to Man United. Man United aren't the team they used to be. They're not the team they have the reputation of. We we can beat Man yeah. United at Old Trafford.
1: No, look, I agree, I agree. But You're having said can. that, last season, last season we should have beat them at Old Trafford, and yet the that the there seems to be like this bogey over the past few seasons where we just we go there, and when United are absolute dross, and we just somehow we capitulate. Like I don't know what it is. It's just like we go to Old Trafford and we just F it up. So I, I listen. I don't take anything for granted. Yeah, but I do think yes. I I agree. I think we can go to United for sure, especially this season. And I think we can slap them. I absolutely and I hope we do. Man, it would nothing would please me more than for us to go to in front of seventy five thousand United fans and just smack them at their own at their own ground, albeit the ground that's falling apart. But you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly. I, you think that this has been kind of a season for. Uh You know, for exercising some demons, and that would be a big one uh but you've gotta be you've gotta be West Ham first, and that's more difficult than it maybe sounds. They're playing well. I think they're currently sit seventh uh, it's a seventh on an even goal differential, so maybe a little bit of a weird seventh, but seventh nonetheless, they've already beaten us once. It's going to be difficult. We have to go, you know, to their place and and do that. How do we think? So given given what we've talked about, this squad is a little thin. There are several places that I'm not sure that there's any real place that you look at and you say that they're you're really comfortable with the depth in this squad. Maybe in midfield, if uh you feel like smith Rowe is now ready to be a regular contributor maybe you feel like midfield is a place where we've got a little bit of depth but we've got the champions league starting up again like you said uh you've got uh, you've got porto coming up on the 21st you know that midweek game between burnley and newcastle how do you manage that what is what how does that impact the league season do you think i mean And and obviously other teams are going through it as well. Liverpool's got Europa. City will obviously have their eye on repeating in the Champions League. And they have the advantage of having done it before, of managing the Champions League in the league season. Uh, So are you um, concerned at all about the Champions League and its impact on a squad that doesn't have a ton of
2: depth? No. I think, particularly in comparison to Liverpool, I think Arsenal actually have superior squad depth. Um I think most teams fourth choice left back is worse than Kivior, for example. Um I think Arsenal do have a certain depth to them. I think uh, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. I think Liverpool and City are both still in the FA Cup, so they're gonna have more fixtures. Um City definitely have more fixtures because they've got multiple games in hand, so they're gonna have to make those up. It's better to have points on the board than games in hand at this point I in agree the season. With that. So <clears throat> City are definitely going to have to play at least a couple more games than Arsenal are going to play between now and the end of the season. Uh, So I I think actually that this going into this stage, only having the champions league, um, which is at most an extra seven games, even if we make the final um, isn't, and that's assuming, and we've got to get past Porto before we start worrying about that. So I think we're in a good position for squad depth. I think people like um, Timber's been in full training for a while. Obviously, he's not going to get rushed back, but I'm hoping that when he does come back, he'll come back well. Um got players like um, Martinelli and Trossard and stuff who are playing very well. Um, Odegaard and Rice have been <laughs> consistently good all season and don't seem to have taken any kind of injuries. Uh, we've got very good reserve goalkeeper in the case something happens to our goalkeeper. Uh, I think we're in a, all in all a very good position for the running.
0: I would like to be that optimistic.
2: <laughs> One <laughs> position you said where we don't have depth. Got depth in goalkeeper, Sean. There no, <laughs> no team in the Premier League is a better reserve goalkeeper than Arsenal. <laughs> you got me. You got me there. I can't argue. What do you
1: guys... If we got, say... Let's say we get... Let's say we beat porto and we get to the the quarterfinals if some of the big teams get knocked out let's say man city somehow get knocked out real madrid um and we're still you know maybe three points behind you know man city in the league and you know we've got like say 10 games to go whatever it is what what would you what would your heart say you'd want to try and go for
2: um i've Consistently said, I would rather Arsenal win the Champions League than the Premier League. I've seen Arsenal win multiple Premier Leagues. I've been <clears throat> when I say I'm making plans to go to the victory parade. I've been to every Premier League victory parade for Arsenal, but I was quite young last time it happened. Um, but I've never seen Arsenal win the Champions League. I, I, I would if we only get one, I would prefer it to be the Champions League. I think if you're in
0: the same position that you are now, you're still going for both obviously if you fall just even a few more points behind in the league, then you start really prioritizing the champions league. I think that, I think that if you, I, well, I don't think you are capable of forcing Arteta into, you know, admitting one over the other. I don't think that he would, but I think probably Nelly is probably on the same page as insiders within the club, the title that this club has not won before. And, you know, all the, all of the sort of status that comes with being a Champions League winner, even if you want to just get on the practical level of how many of those, how many uh, of the 24, 25 jerseys do you sell with the star on them right <laughs> like just something as pragmatic as that i mean there's there's a status that comes with winning the champions league that cannot be topped you do things like you, you go to the club world cup um you know you do all of those kinds of things that are associated that come with that and add to the fact that to be the manager and to be a part of the squad to have done something the club has never done before I think that the allure of that is too much. I I, I would personally choose that as well, I think. And that that may be, I can't remember if I've said that I wanted one or the other before, but I think I've talked myself into if I could only have one and I still want both this season. Because why not? Uh, It would be the Champions League as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we haven't won it before. It'd be great to see us win it finally. Plus, it just gets that monkey off our back, you know? (laughs) Like. These are other you know, these other teams who have won the Champions they can't use it against us.
0: Yeah, champions of Europe, you'll never sing that. They can't. They wouldn't be able to sing it
2: to us anymore, and it
0: wouldn't yeah. sting
2: when they do. And the only uh, it, it, once we've won one, it then becomes can we uh, win it back to back? And uh, I believe only one British club has ever done that, and it was Nottingham Forest. <laughs> uh, so, so Man United and Chelsea fans, and Man City fans, and they, they Their teams never retain the Champions League. Uh, It would be great to have as many Champions Leagues as City. It'd be great to have as many as Nottingham Forest. That'd be Uh, even better. Or Real Madrid. Yeah, there's the list of teams that have maintained the successfully defended Champions Leagues. They've won it back-to-back seasons. It's very short. It's like Real Madrid, Juventus... And like Nottingham Forest, something's I mean, a very short list. Like Man United never done it, Barcelona have never done it, AC Milan have never done it. Uh, so we've got to win this, we'll win it this year, and then we'll target the uh, the great European juggernauts that are Nottingham Forest's uh, record.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's win the first one before we start making plans for the second one. But yeah, I would definitely take that. Uh, as far as upcoming fixtures after West Ham, as we mentioned, uh, Burnley on the 17th, Porto, February 21st, all of those are away fixtures, by the way. And so, you know, that could play into uh, some of the results. I think that you probably want, in the Champions League, you probably want that away leg first, so I, I'm not too unhappy with that. I may be wrong about that, but I, I, I would kind of prefer going into the home leg, sort of knowing exactly what it is you needed to do. Uh, there's, the Newcastle- um, there's a statistical
2: or- thing that the team that plays away first is very slightly more likely to qualify yeah. there you have it, and I think we're a better <clears throat> team than Porto so it makes sense that, if okay. it goes to if it's fully it makes sense if it's tied, you play your extra time in front of your home crowds
0: mm-hmm. it
2: makes sense that it is, there is a there is an obvious advantage to playing home second for sure yeah. uh, and then we'll round out February with uh
0: Newcastle at home, so some pretty big fixtures coming up not a t- not a ton of them in February. I mean, what is that? Five, five matches in February. Uh, so not a ton, but February is also a short month. Uh, but some big ones coming up, uh, and we'll be here for you. So, uh, Alex, Nelly, anything else you want to think about? I mean, I would like to spend some time on the question of Yuri and timber, but I don't think that's a today conversation. I think we'll talk about that later.
2: Let's see. Um, yeah, I want to see Timber set film the pitch before we'll talk about him. Really? Um, it's all well and good how, what photographs we've seen of him training, but we it doesn't mean anything until he sets foot on the pitch. Well, well I want to talk this, about I'll whether or not this,
0: he though. should step foot on the pitch, but that's another story.
1: I'll say this though. If he gets on the pitch before Partey, man, that's <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, that I mean I've been uh, I think you're right, Alex. The last eighteen months, two years, Partey has played very few games for Arsenal, hasn't he? He's not a... he's not um not been doing it. One thing we didn't mention, obviously, in players coming back, is that we will soon, of course, have El Neni back from that once Afcon is over. So that will uh, provide us some uh, much-needed coverage on the bench. Well, that's a re- that's a relief. <laughs> uh, even if Partey's I am actually back, and then it will be. I,
0: I do feel bad for feeling kind of happy that uh, that Japan lost out in the Asia Cup, um, but I I can't help it. I do. I I having Tommy back. Uh, again, it's always the
2: caveat. As long as he stays fit, uh, yeah, it really cuts, does help. Cuts both ways. Liverpool get endo back, don't they? So it cuts both ways. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well, we don't have to worry about Liverpool anymore, at least not directly. But you're right that it does make a difference with with uh, you know Afcon coming to an end, the Asia Cup coming in too, and everybody's going to get all their their sort of players back. Uh, anything else? You guys, any any new business before we before we wrap?
1: Well, just on Tommy Ass. It, it seems to be rumour that he's actually signed his new deal with us. Oh, okay. So yeah, so he'll be with us for at least the the immediate future.
0: I have no problem with this.
1: Me neither. Yeah, no, I think no, he's, he, a great, he's kind he's of player we need to keep
2: on. he's, he's kind of playing we need to keep on. Yeah, he can play anywhere in the back four. He's kind of player we need to keep. Two- two-footed.
1: Two footed, I mean, is is a, a great quality, which means like like Nelly said, you can play anywhere in the back four, which is great.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Alex, and thank you, Nelly, for joining today. It's been it's been a lot of fun to sort of relive and and think about this game again. It was so much fun, uh, despite how nervous I was before. Uh, it was certainly that much of a relief after. So, uh, thank you both for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And if you're listening here, thanks again. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. Um, If we'll ask you to go one step further, though, uh, do a like, do a subscribe, do a rating, uh, do a little review, tell a friend, you know, tell your mom, whatever. Uh, Anybody that you know that might be interested in, in having conversations with us and talking with us, we really can't tell you how much we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we'll be back next time, hopefully after another uh, big win. I We do owe West Ham one, so I really, really want us to go in and take care of business there. Uh, but we will talk to you next time on the Blackstock Triangle.